What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam. Will the Falcons ever contend again, Kalal? And we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports, wacky-ass hijinks, and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Graham, it's going very well. Thanks, as always, for asking. Do you ever want me to come up with little nicknames for you, like you give me every week? Uh, as long as it's organic and in the moment. So, like, you could be Graham... I love listening to the Hawks on Radio Waldrop. Sure. Something along those lines. Okay. I'll, yeah, I think that'd be appropriate. I'll pencil that in every now and then. Uh, things are going excellent. Glad to be back podcasting with you. It's a new week again. Uh, January, I think we're four for four. And once again... That's pretty good. This week, we actually have... We just had our little show rundown and we've got all three major sports to discuss hell i can even say something about the atlanta united this week graham holy shit so we got it all coming in this episode what's going on on your end i just uh a little overworked it's cold as hell outside went for a for a nice little run with our with our good friend jet the beast and was freezing my giblets off Mm. It's like 35 degrees out there. Were you wearing? I'm trying like- to run every day. Uh, this week, I, I think I ran like four days last. I'm just trying to just get in a little better shape, and I've been doing. I've been getting better about pushing distance. And then today, I just stopped after about halfway, just because it was so cold. I just walked the rest of the way like a little bitch. <laughs> well, if it's cold, why wouldn't you want to keep running? I was just worn down by the cold. I, I wasn't. I wasn't layered up enough. I had shorts on. You weren't just shorts? A jacket. Yeah, I thought I could be tough and, you know, You're not really tough, push Graham. it to the limit. Well, I was tough initially. Like, I felt great. And then about a quarter of the way through my run, which wasn't long, I started to really be. I even said out loud, I was like, Jesus, it's cold! Just like out of nowhere, which was kind of funny. I'm sure if someone was passing by, they would have looked at me like I was a crazy person. And also acknowledging the obvious, yes, it's cold, but you don't have to be a little bitch about it. And yeah, then I just, I just walked back, uh, the last bit of my walk. Just shivering the whole time. Yes. Well, as we learned a few weeks. And I tried to run again because I was like, well, this is stupid. I need to just get home because I'm freezing. Yeah. At that point, I've lost my mojo. So I just, I suffered in silence. Do you listen to a podcast when you're running? Uh, usually listen to music. I can't do, I have to get something to hype me up. Or something that's energetic or a little upbeat or that's a headbanger or something. I, I can't do podcasts while I run. Is 95% of the music you listen to while running Bob Dylan? Of course. Okay. Well, perhaps we'll do an Atlanta's own run one of these days, Graham, if you're getting into it. Well, that'd be good. We could raise money for some altruistic cause. Rabies? Rabies, yes. Like vaccinate your beasts is the biggest, biggest issue we have in this country right now. Lack of vaccination for beasts. Well, I was thinking the uh, rabies and humans like Michael Scott. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's a good call. I forgot about the Michael Scott fun run of uh, what was that? 2009, 10, whenever that was. So, Very important moment in American history. We should is. honor that legacy by putting it on the next one because I think there's only been one. So far in the history of America. Yeah, it's it's due for some new funding and awareness. Well, Adam, while we continue to joke about silly 
bullshit that doesn't matter. Let's change the subject a little bit in terms of, or at least the tone of the podcast and get a little serious for a second. So Adam, last Friday, a week a week from when this episode will hopefully be out, we lost the great Henry Louis Hank Aaron, the all-time home run leader, great humanitarian, and lifelong, pretty much brave, both Milwaukee and Atlanta. It was a pretty sad day for all of Braves country, and I would imagine anyone who gives a damn about good people or sports. And it was one of those moments where, at least for me, never having watched Hank Aaron play, I always, you know, respected the hell out of him for what he did, facing down death threats uh, to his family for being just a black guy, which is awful, trying to break one of the most sacred records in all of baseball. And the fact that he had the mental fortitude to do that alone is incredible. But then you think about all the things he did after he retired in terms of helping out the Braves organization, helping out various charitable organizations throughout the world. Um, It's a hell of a life. He lived in a hell of a man. And the world is a lesser place, I think, without Hank Aaron in it. Yeah, I mean, obviously we didn't grow up in his era, but I mean... He's still the home run king to many. And uh, yeah, what he did after he retired, where he, he had all the right in the world to just, you know, hang it up and go sit on a beach for the next 40 years. But he didn't, and he continued to make a difference in so many people's lives. It was a role model. Um, but from a strictly baseball standpoint, the stats are pretty staggering for Hank Aaron. Um, first of all, when it comes to the home runs, I don't think I fully realized that Barry Bond, because 755, that's the only number that people think of when it comes to home runs. I didn't realize Bonds only got to 762. Did you realize right. that, that's all it was? Like, Yeah, I knew it was just a little over. I didn't know it was that close. I thought it was like 15 home runs more or something like that. And, and it's... But yeah, it, it, and he wasn't roided up for half of his career either. Right. And it's, it's technically even closer now because uh, at some point last year, Major League Baseball came out and said that they were going to start counting like all the stats that people accrued in the Negro Leagues towards the Major League stats. Because when you think about it, I mean, the Negro Leagues only existed because of segregation and discrimination where so many of those guys would have been playing in the major leagues at that time. And Hank Aaron did, I think he played like 25 or 30 games in the Negro leagues before the Braves uh, bought his contract from that team. And unfortunately he only had five home runs with there, but that pushes him to 760, So only two short of bonds. So that, I mean, that makes it even closer and obviously minus the steroids as well. Um, but just a few more of the stats for you, Graham. In addition to the homers, he's third all time in hits with 3,771, tied for fourth in runs. He's first in extra base hits, first in RBIs. And here's a stat you love, Graham. He's fifth all time in war. 143.1. And uh, that's, uh, that's staggering. Yeah, a pretty crazy 23 year career. 
Oh, that's nuts. Yeah, that and and it was an all star for twenty of those, I believe. And um, a pretty crazy one here that you can relate to modern times. He's the all time leader in total bases with six thousand eight hundred fifty six. And to put that in perspective, Mike Trout right now has like a one percent chance of beating that, which is just ridiculous. So that that that's basically zero. Um, but yeah, like, like we were saying, and besides just the, the pure baseball greatness, I mean, he, he did come up in a time where he was not far behind Jackie Robinson. So one of the stats that I, not stats, sorry, I'm, I'm just used to stats right now, Graham. One of the quotes from him that resonated with me was where he was talking about his times in the minor leagues after the Braves signed him where I think he was playing in Jacksonville or something. And they were one of the first like minor league teams to um, integrate. And he was just discussing, you know, how the black players would have to ride different buses, stay at different hotels. And Hank said that he knew what he was being asked to do was not right. But the whole time he continued to just handle it with grace because he knew that his suffering would make it better for someone coming up behind him. And I think that that seems to be what his mentality was throughout his whole life and just dealing with all the terrible shit he had to deal with while being one of the greatest baseball players that ever lived and including in the chasing of Babe Ruth. Um, And that's why I I don't know if you watched the memorial service they had, but I mean, you, you could see how many different players from so many different eras that he affected and made a true impact on. And, uh, that's why it's a sad day and, uh, Braves country right now. Yeah, definitely. And I think that I don't think you can really find someone who would have have any, at least at this point in time, have anything negative to say about Hank Aaron. He just always seemed like the nicest guy in all the interviews. I remember watching him a couple of times at Braves games speak before a game would start and everyone's hanging on every word just the reverence that everyone had for him is unparalleled. I mean, he's probably, I don't think people, you're right. You you brought up a good point. People get fixated on that 755 number, but yeah, you know, he was an absolute beast in all other regards uh, as, especially as an offensive force. I mean, you just immediately, if you're a baseball fan, you know, one of the first players you learn about is Hank Aaron. So, and he probably and a reason for that. He probably would have been in the majors quicker if it weren't for the discrimination at the time. Like I know he he got his his shot because the starting outfielder broke his ankle the day before, and that's what gave him his chance. But you know, if he had been given the same opportunity from the get go, who knows how many where he's at home run wise? But it doesn't matter. Like the number doesn't matter. Everyone's going to continue to see him as the home run King for, you know, all time. I would think kind of tragic that he only went to the uh, playoffs three times. I think. Wasn't he on the, one of the Milwaukee brave championship teams. So yeah, it it was, it was kind of like a chipper Jones scenario where chipper won his world series at the beginning of his career. So yeah, Milwaukee, they went to the playoffs 57 and 58 and won it all in 1958. 
And then I think the next time he went was, so he was 24 at the time they won the World Series. And the only other time he went was in 1969 in his age 35 season. So he played on some really shitty teams. Yeah, he did, particularly in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, yeah, Bra- I mean, we've lost a couple Braves legends over the last month or so. That we- Don Sutton we lost a couple weeks ago as well. Yeah, and then Phil Necro before that. Phil Necro, yeah. So yeah, and and Don, you know, for a lot of people was the the voice of the Braves, and a lot of people associate that with with Skip Carey. Pete Van Weren, but you know Don Sutton was there too during that ascendancy of the Braves franchise in the '90s, and continued to call games until about a couple of years ago, and always had a great disposition, always had something interesting to say about the game, and you can respect his opinion. He's a Hall of Fame pitcher for Christ's sake. He played for the Dodgers and I think won a championship or two out there. And when you heard his voice, it was always just it was kind of like. Vince Scully light in the sense of, you know, he wasn't as good a commentator as Vince Scully. But when you heard it, there was a comforting feeling of just a man who knows baseball telling you how it is. And he was great at that. And that's what, you know, Braves country will remember about Don Sutton the most, not the player, but the, the, the announcer. So, yeah, that was that was sad for sure to lose to lose a guy. I always, I always hoped he was going to come back at some point, but seemed like between I think he like fell and broke a bone or something or a couple of bones and then also was dealing with cancer, which is unfortunately is what took his life by the end of it. But I always held out hope he'd come back and I was I was shocked to to hear that he was he he had departed. Um I thought he was in remission. I I was out of touch obviously. But yeah, it just it just seems like everywhere you look, I mean, even outside of you know the Braves, time in Lasorda mm-hmm. also passed. Yep. Uh, a lot of lot of legends of the sporting world that our parents grew up with as well uh, are are starting to starting to leave us which is definitely a a sad thing and a sad time for the for the world overall so it's like the hits just keep on coming so yeah you, you don't realize the uh you don't appreciate the legends as much until they're gone basically no, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, in terms of Hank Aaron being the legend. You remember, I feel like it was the 1999 uh, All-Star game in Boston when Ted Williams like threw out the first pitch. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think he I don't, he died within a year or so of that. But it just like the the way that the players looked at him and just like complete reverence and awe that that was that was similar to how uh, i know with, with chipper speaking about every time he saw hank aaron he, he kind of felt the same way and just realized you know you're in you're in the presence of greatness um show the man the respect he deserves while we're on the braves graham should we talk um you know some uh current player transactions Sure. I guess we we'll, we'll just say on uh, at least I have two two last things on this on uh, Hank Aaron. One, would you be in favor of? And we've talked about something like this for a while, but we mentioned Chipper and Bobby, but we didn't talk about Hank Aaron. Would you like to see? And I think Jeff Schultz threw this out there on Twitter. 
would you like to see Truist Park's uh, renamed to be Hank Aaron Field at Truist Park or something to that effect? Yeah, I've I've been saying that for about a year and a half. Like, it's a joke that it's not Hank Aaron Field at Truist Park. Like, I understand the branding rights, but I think Truist would get so much more goodwill from doing that. And, you know... And they keep their name on the damn park, too. It's not like it goes away. And, And everyone's talking about it now, but I find it to be a bit of a tragedy that it would be done after the man's gone. Like it should, it should have been done. It should have been done beforehand to where he could have experienced it. And yeah, you know, I, I don't how, know, how amazing I, would that be? Yeah. Like, yeah. Imagine Hank Aaron throwing out the first pitch two years ago or something like that. Um, but yeah, when it was, especially when it was rebranded from SunTrust to Truist, that would have been a great time for the Braves to do something big. Um, and it, I mean, to the Braves' credit, they they started that foundation in Hank Aaron's name, and I think the Braves donated a million in Major League Major League Baseball donated another million on top of that. So it's not like they're not honoring him, but you know, all of Braves country wants it to be Hank Aaron Field. So I'm glad I'm glad you brought it up, Graham, because yes, I, I think that they should do that. Like Truist Park can still be the biggest, the biggest piece on it, but you know Hank Aaron needs to be right above it or right below it. And I also like the idea of all the other teams in Atlanta also retiring number forty-four. I think no, that do, would, is that happening. Eh, you know, people just throw things out there, but but Adam, uh, how can how can how can we replace uh, the indelible memory of Vic Beasley, who I believe is number forty-four? Was he 44? I, th- I think. I no, can't remember. He was that, 40 something, wasn't he? Yeah, I, I don't think we're retiring Vic Beasley's number anytime soon. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I think that would be a great gesture in all seriousness if they were to do that. Because I can't think of any Falcon or Hawk that is retired that is 44. So if that's the case, those teams should do that. And United should do that as well. I don't know if soccer players get numbers that go that high, but if they do, <laughs> or if, even if they don't, it'd be a nice gesture. Right. Um, actually, I'm glad we're staying on this a little more because I, I had something else uh, in the realm I wanted to discuss with you, Graham, on baseball. I mean, this isn't technically strictly Atlanta sports based. So, oh, man, you're breaking new ground. Stop me if I cross a line here. But okay. I'm already I wanted, triggered. I, <laughs> you're, you're about to be triggered. I wanted to get your thoughts on. So the sports writers this week made the bold decision to not elect anyone to the Baseball Hall of Fame. So the big three names that, you know, have all the numbers to get in to the Hall of Fame that aren't getting voted in currently are Barry Bonds, obviously, uh, linked to steroids. I don't know if you've heard about that one before. I I haven't, you know, that's... it's the first time I've heard about it. I mean, I always thought the guy was just a total class act who played the game the right way. Shocked. Yeah. I mean that that I mean that's why that's what I just say. Seven home run separation between and Hank Aaron is so frustrating. Like, you know, if he had hit like a hundred fifty more or something ridiculous, okay, he probably would have done it without steroids. But seven. So the whole point was they elected no one to the Hall of Fame. The three names they didn't elect are Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens. 
also linked to steroids. And the third one is Kurt Schilling. You're missing somebody, Adam. Well, I mean, those are like the three, like these guys based off their resume alone are no brainer Hall of Famers. I would also throw Andrew Jones in there in terms of being the greatest defensive center fielder of all time. But what do I know? But I think Andrew Jones is going to get so there. He doesn't get but enough like, votes. He was not going to. He he ticked up this year. Yeah, he's like trending in the he's trending in the right direction, but like he wasn't necessarily a first ballot Hall of Famer. Like I think he was. He is literally, if you look at the stats, he is the greatest offensive center fielder ever. Now, I'm not talking about Golden Gloves. That's a bunch of bullshit. The defensive metrics, he's saved the most runs in the history of baseball at center field. He is the greatest of all time. How is that guy? And he also hit 430 home runs. How is he not in the fucking Hall of Fame? 430 home runs. That's not first ballot Hall of Famer. And like the last like six years that he played, he was trash. Yeah, but Ozzie Smith is the greatest defensive shortstop of all time. He wasn't a great offensive player, yet he's in the Hall of Fame. Should we? I really think that the way they elect the Hall of Fame is fucking stupid. I don't like Kurt Schilling at all, but I agree with what he said where he was like, I'm taking my name off the the list next year. I'm going to give it up to the, uh, the, the players committee or whatever. And, and see if I can get in that way. Like, I fuck well, the baseball writers. They're that, so that, biased. That, that's the one I wanted to talk about was Kurt Schilling. Because, like, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, I could see the argument with the steroids. Like, it doesn't feel like, granted, had they done nothing, had they not done steroids, they would have been first ballot Hall of Famers. Even if, even if Bonds take away 150 home runs or whatever. But, like, Kurt Schilling, like, that guy was fucking gamer man like like his bloody sock is currently in the hall of fame and he is not getting voted into the hall of fame because of what he puts on twitter after he's done playing like it or not i don't i don't care i don't care what he's saying like if the hall of fame is an actual hall of fame it should be strictly based on what did you do on the baseball field like i i would also link pete rose to that Get Pete Rose in there. I don't give a shit that he gambled on baseball when he was a coach. He never bet against his team. So, yeah, Ty Cobb was the biggest asshole in the history of the world, and he's in the Hall of Fame. Like, there's no one, no one's a meaner son of a bitch than Ty Cobb. This Kurt Schilling thing, that's the road we're going down. Like, are we going to start, like, looking at how people were in the 1920s? And I'm sure that Babe Ruth had some thoughts that, aren't very woke in 2021. Are we going to pull him out if it's character based? And if it's character based, why isn't Dale Murphy in then? Like it's, it's so dumb that we give baseball writers this power. There's got to be a better system, but uh, I agree. And I, and it's, it's kind of like also like any subjective award you look at uh, Hollywood foreign press for the golden globes or the Academy for the Oscars. It's all a bunch of biased bullshit. It doesn't really validate, you know, the work. Which which is sad. Which is sad. I, I don't like thinking yeah. about the Hall of Baseball Hall of Fame as compared to like an Academy Award. Like, I don't know. It, it right. It, I mean, it's it's different. But I'm I'm trying to just draw comparisons throughout, you know, the world. I'm just saying all awards like this that are subjective, even in the greatest awards like the Hall of Fame, are so biased. Like, if you're an asshole to the media, which Kurt Schilling was before the, all this uh, Twitter stuff and hard right-wing shit he now spouts, you know, 
he was an asshole to the media. If you're an asshole to the media throughout your career, it doesn't matter how good you are, you're not getting in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, so, that's what they're that's what they're saying. It doesn't right? matter. Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah. So it's just like, and also to put him in the Hall of Fame now would piss off uh, piss people off in terms of what Schilling's politics are. It should be about what you did on the field. And Kurt Schilling on the field is a two time World Series champ. Has great strikeout numbers, a great ERA, great whip. Um, I think he's one of the leaders in war of his era in terms of pitchers. I mean, the guy has all the credentials to be in the in the and Hall of you know what's it just comes down to the baseball writers well, being and a bunch what's of funny about it is I've, I've had this conversation with a number of people and i've heard like the sports talk like atlanta local sports talk talking about it and anybody that watches sports for the most part agrees with us on this one like i i would love to hear the counter argument and like it actually laid out for me for why kurt schilling shouldn't be in the hall of fame but I think anyone that watches sports wants the Baseball Hall of Fame to be about what you did on the field. With the exception of the guys who decide who go into the Hall of Fame. Well, and I'm sure all the writers, like, privately, they're like, yeah, uh, Kurt Schilling's a Hall of Famer. And I, I, a number of them were like, yeah, I don't like what he says, but he's he's a Hall of Famer. So it's just like this weird, like, you know, if if it were 2011, Kurt Schilling's in the Hall of Fame. It's just... Maybe. This, he was still perceived as now. an asshole. He was still perceived as an asshole, though, by the media. But I think I think time. it's more I think it's more about his Twitter shit than like yeah. what he actually said during his career. Well, I'm just telling you, there have been guys like Kurt Schilling that always were assholes to the media who didn't get in. So, you know, I think that also still has a lot to do with it, especially with these older baseball writers who have been around forever who have covered him for his entire career do not have fond memories of Kurt Schilling. Yeah. And, well, but also, yeah, you look at a guy like Dale Murphy, who is a gym, you know, personally and on the field, and he didn't get his just. So who the hell knows? The point is, though, that I agree. There has to be a better way to decide who gets in the Hall of Fame. And I think there should but, be like an unbiased, selected group of people who uh, were players or coaches or something, which may be hard to wrangle someone else up like that because everybody's got bias it's hard not to be biased but it's like who can judge fairly who knows what it takes to actually succeed on the field as opposed to a bunch of writers who never fucking play baseball at a high level probably we need the bcs to get involved bcs graham let them do their calculations who's the dcs the bcs college bcs i well, that's a bunch of bullshit. I don't know. Either way, Adam, <laughs> no matter what, this is why subjective awards suck. Is because I agree. It's, it's like no matter what it is, no matter it's the Hall of Fame, MVP, an Academy Award, it doesn't matter. It's all decided by a bunch of people who are full of shit for the most part and that make, in my opinion, sometimes the wrong decisions on things because it's like, you know, there are plenty of people. Like Andrew Jones, I think, absolutely deserves to be a first ballot Hall of Famer cause, solely because of the defense. But what the fuck do I'm- I know? I could be I'm totally, glad you. I'm glad yeah. you brought it back to this, Graham, because I, I was doing saying, a little research. It pisses me off. I was doing a little research during all of this talking uh, to, to link it back to Andrew. So, because you were saying Ozzie Smith versus Andrew, right? Because of the defense. Yeah, Ozzie, don't give me any gold gloves. No, no, no. I'm going with the gold standard of uh, sabermetric stats, Graham. War. 
Andrew Jones career war. Keep in mind, this is crazy. What did I just say? Hank Aaron's war was. Uh, Hank Aaron was a hundred forty-three point one. Was that's that's just freakish. Hank Aaron's war. Uh, Andrew Jones war sixty-two point seven. Ozzie Smith's seventy-six point nine. And that's that's not that far off. That seems significant to me. That's that's only eleven wins. That's not a lot. I mean, it is, but it's not. Ozzie Smith only had twenty-eight home runs in his career as well. That's that's crazy. That's what I'm saying. It was purely based on him being a showman loved by the media and also being a hell of a defender. I think he absolutely deserves to be in. Wait, but Andrew Jones. War War is now a showmanship? No, stat? no, no. I'm not, he didn't get in because of War. Adam. War wasn't a thing when Ozzie Smith played. Well, I think people – maybe maybe the journalists back then had a little more integrity and uh, they did their research. And But there also, was no war at that point. Bill – wasn't uh what's the guy's name bill shanks uh yeah it wasn't it wasn't used like it is used today i i think hardcore baseball fans knew about it all right i doubt any writers gave a shit about that stuff we're both talking out of our asses yeah we don't know none of what we're saying is at all factual well, yeah, but I, I but I'm you cannot deny way, you're speculating another way. You cannot deny that when Ozzie Smith played versus when Andrew Jones played, that war was as big then as it is now. It is, or even in the in the late the mid nineties to you know the mid two thousands when Andrew's heyday was was happening. I've only known war for, about war for like a year and a half. Right. Well, that's you, <laughs> and and uh, and me for the most part. So, you didn't know about war when Andrew Jones was a baseball no, on, I, on the Braves? I, I did not. I'm just saying you can look at it now. People probably use that now more as an evaluator than they did when Ozzie Smith played. I don't think that's we can I don't think there's an argument to be had there. You're right. This was a simple Google search. War was adapted as a statistic in 2004. There you go. So now that Andrew's retired and he's able to be evaluated, his war that's still pretty damn good. In the defensive run saved. I mean, yeah, uh, it's it's like I don't I don't get it. But also at the same time, in my heart, Andrew Jones is a beast and a wonderful player for us. Well, that's so, in your heart, though. So, and that's all I, that matters, Adam. All that matters is what's <laughs> in our heart. We don't need I, I, we don't need the baseball writers of America to come off their fucking high horse and put Andrew Jones in the Hall of Fame to validate the fact that he was a monster because the stats, the objective stats, say that he was. All right, Graham, I figured it out. If you have a career war over 70, you're in the Hall of Fame. Chippers war 85.3. That's significantly higher than Andrew's 62.7. Correct. Give me another Hall of Famer. Uh, Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson, 101.1. And he's a pitcher. That's insane. (laughs) Yeah. Greg Maddox war, uh, 106.6. Hall of Famer. So, like, now let's get to, like, some questions. Like, who? So, Fred McGriff. Yeah, the crime dog. Look up his war. 52.6. He's now a Hall of Famer. <laughs> I mean, we figured it out, Graham. <laughs> I mean, who, like, so Dale Burphy. Let's see. Yeah, that's the ultimate test. 46.5. Not a Hall of Famer. This is so not. easy. Yeah. This is so would you say, easy. Would you say the number was 70? 70, 70, 70. Is, is, is Hall of Fame? Okay. So, like, the, the name I was recently uh who was the dh for the mariners oh uh 
Edgardo Martinez. Martinez. Edgar Martinez. Edgar Martinez. Edgardo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I saw he was in. I was like, is that really a Hall of Famer? Let's find out. No, he maybe not. He's he's borderline sixty eight point four, but that Ooh, sounds like he shouldn't close. be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, it's close. All right. Well, wow, Graham. This was a sidebar that <laughs> solved uh, a lot of issues in baseball today. I think we should propose this to uh, Baseball Hall of Fame committee and just say, "This is it. You don't need to vote. This is how you decide." Well, I want to see like who all. I mean, I want to see like who all was even on. Like some of the names out there were ridiculous. Like Shane Victorino was on there. No fucking way. Yeah, like you should have to be above sixty WAR to even be on the ballot. First of all, Shane Victorino thirty one point five WAR. Come on, dude. Yeah. What are we doing here? Yeah. So. I'm 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 pretty happy about this breakthrough, Graham. At least it's using a stat that is commonly accepted as the ultimate stat in evaluating a player, as opposed to a bunch of writers getting their panties in a wad. Like, let me see what Babe Ruth's war was. Look up Kurt Schilling's war. How about okay. let's do that. Let's 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 do Kurt Schilling's war. I bet it's way over seventy. Seventy-nine point five. Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. Higher than Ozzie Smith. And I think you still let Andrew Jones in there just because he saved the most defensive runs as a center fielder. So uh, He is well below the 70 threshold, Graham. Uh, I know. But, see, that's my bias showing. Maybe I'm full yep. of shit. It, it, see, exactly. But with this war minimum, there's no bias to be had. Yeah, that is true. It's a scientific stat made by mathematicians that are a hell of a lot smarter than the majority of us. At least, well, especially our asses. Eddie Matthews, 96.2. Beast. No brainer. <laughs> I mean, come on. That Hank, I mean, I, I, I certainly appreciate the Hank Aaron 143 war a That's lot more just after going through insane. all that. insane. Good yeah. God. Makes Mike Trout blush. Yep. I think that's all we got on, on baseball <laughs> and war. At least for for this week's episode, we haven't talked about baseball in a long time, so I guess this was this is good. It's like uh, it's, exercising it's some some silent demons. Yeah, that was good. We might be a baseball podcast, Graham. Well, that's when uh, the most people listen to us. Well, I, and I actually had some. I'm glad we did all that because the current Braves news is a little uh, more routine than that. Well, Adam, you're forgetting the breaking news that happened this week for the free agent signing. You know of who I speak. Oh, uh, the Panda. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, why do we need an outfielder or a new third baseman when we have the Panda? He can play both. Imagine if the Panda was your start opening day left fielder. Um, you know, it'd be exciting. Sure. You could have Acuna and Pache just cover a shit ton of ground, and then, you know, Paolo's just got to stand there. He got hit by that ball in the playoffs. Yep, and he made that play on that third base to, I think, win game one or two or whatever that was against the Dodgers. You know what? I mean, so I think it's official now that the DH is – we're not going to have the DH this year, which is dumb. I still – I think there's time that did come out this week where ba- the Players Association rejected an offer, I think, from the owners that said that the playoffs would be expanded and there would be a universal DH, and it was rejected, and I'm not sure why. I don't know if details came out after the story broke. But it seemed like it was just odd that it wasn't accepted. 
don't know if that's something else to do with money. Maybe there's some other clause in there that was well, trying the players, to take the players out of money. I don't know. The ex- the expanded playoffs were a part of it, and the players don't want expanded playoffs for whatever reason. Uh, Seems like an opportunity to make more money. But. Yeah, make more money and get more baseball. I mean, I could also see, that. I guess, the standpoint of saying that maybe it cheapens the playoffs. But I think I mean, last year's playoffs were some of the most exciting. And part of that is, once again, my bias of watching the Braves go to the NLCS. But it was cool watching, like, uh, who was it? The Marlins, you know, beating up the Cubs. That wouldn't yeah. happen. The Marlins wouldn't even have the shot to do that. You know? Oh yeah, those first rounds of playoff, that was so much fun. It was like March Madness for baseball. And we needed yeah. that because we didn't have March Madness last year. It was so great to start the watching that Braves game that went like fifteen innings to like five o'clock and then flip over to watch the Indians, Yankees, and then watch uh you know, the Padres play at ten thirty or something. That was awesome, man. That was yeah, that, 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 that was, was like twelve hours of baseball. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean I think it's all just negotiating, but it's it's dumb. Like it seems like it's just like the Hall of Fame thing. Like everyone, uh, all fans agree. Yeah, DH and the like. I, I don't miss seeing our starting pitchers hit. Although the the side argument is Pablo Sandoval is a lot bigger pickup if there's no DH because there'll be a lot more pinch hitting. So yeah, I guess, and it also his contract for those that don't know. I'm looking at you, Hugo, is only a minor league deal. I think it's a million-dollar minor league deal. So there's no – if he doesn't make the team, I doubt that he's going to stick around playing the minor leagues considering his no. age and just where he's at in his life. Someone will – he'll go to, like, play on the Rangers or something. Right, probably win them the World Series somehow. We had a couple other big signings, though, Graham. Mm. What are these – do these names ring a bell for you? Victor Aranio? No. And Kyle Garlic. That's a great name. So they're both from the Phillies. <laughs> both from the Philly system. Signed him to our 40 man roster. Uh Aranio is a little interesting to me. He's a 26-year-old reliever who his rookie season in 2018 had a 273 ERA in 60 games. And He's coming off an L- elbow injury, like surgery. So that's why he's out there. Um, but he's got like a sub three ERA and 70 major league games. So, you know, it could be one of these Anthopolis grabs that works out great. Um, but we'll see if he makes the team. It's definitely a possibility. And then Mr. Garlic is a 29-year-old outfielder from the Dodger system that only has 70 at-bats in the major leagues. Not great at bats, but you know he was with the Dodgers. Not like a lot of room to get playing time there. Yeah, um, played like he had like twelve at bats with the Phillies last year, so doesn't really matter. So, uh, possibly two names that'll do more for us than Pablo Sandoval, but certainly not the big name signings we want to see with Marcelo Zuna still on the market. Uh, I'm glad we didn't. There were rumors rumors swirling last week about JT Real Muto. He signed with the Phillies. I'm glad we didn't put any more time than that sentence on JT Real Muto to the Braves. Yeah, that would have been stupid. Um, so the only thing I just want to say, I'm a little worried about our bullpen. Like, I, I just think we need to sign. I mean, just bring Melanson back, please. Melanson's yeah, still out on, there. Like On paper, that's the easiest thing to do. 
what like, we think. If we're because Green is still out there as well, but you know we lost Darren O'Day. Is like the bullpen's just thinning out a little bit. So I would like to get one or two arms back, please. So just bring Mark Melanson in for the love. Particularly, of God. yeah. I mean, even though I feel like a rotation definitely was bolstered, particularly by the Charlie Morton signing, the bullpen was such a huge strength for us last year that we need to solidify that fucker as much as we can. So we need to get, I would, you know, gun to my head, part of me, I don't know if I'd rather have Melanson than Ozuna, but I definitely would rather have Melanson than Green. And I definitely want some, we need to get at least one or two big-time arms back there. Yeah, I mean, we're still in good good shape with the bullpen. Um, and Particularly the with the emergence that- of, of Mentor last year. Yeah, Minter and um, I can't remember the dude's name, the big lefty. Oh, I know you're talking about the guy we got, Chris Martin. No. Oh. Um, I mean, he's he's still in the bullpen as well. Um, yeah. The journeyman. The journeyman. That was a beast in the playoffs. Oh, uh, Will Smith. The white Will Smith. No. Now, keep going. Keep going. Keep going, Graham. He's a Further big down the bullpen. left-hander. Uh, he is. The guy who was, like, out of baseball – Oh, yeah, I don't remember his name, but yeah, he was good. I know who you're talking about now. Damn. Oh, well. What terrible fans we are, Graham. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Not fans. So- Matzik. Matzik. Sorry. Matzik. Yes, I liked Matzik. Particularly in the yeah, playoffs. So- he, came to, he, came, he really showed up then. I mean, we, we still have good arms, and like, there's like some random process. Like, I, I still think Noah out of the bull, Wasker Noah would, out of the bullpen would be a beast. Uh, but I, I, don't I know, want that beast, better. But yeah, uh, we need. He's we got need potential. Yeah, he's got potential. But yeah, we, we need we need Melanson. Is what we need. I feel pretty good with like Minter, Melanson, Will Smith, Matzik. We'll be fine. But and and hopefully, you know, I guess the hope is also that the starters are giving us more innings than last year. Yeah, I think with Smiley and. And uh, Morton, that was certainly, well, at least on paper, would appear to be the case. Yep. <clears throat> All right, Adam, let's take a step back. I know we just had a sort of an overflow moment talking about baseball for the first time in months, but it's time to transition to the Falcons and the Hawks. Where would you like to start? Let's start with the team that's currently playing games that matter. Mm. Your Atlanta Hawks. 4-3! Take it away, Maestro. Okay, since we last left you, you know, the Hawks were starting to figure it out a little bit. Had a terrible showing over the weekend against the Jazz. Got a little closer against the Blazers. And then things turned. Trey Young has found a shot again, Graham. Uh, He's starting to put up some big games again. So last week, we won three in a row, two of those against the Timberwolves, one against the Pistons, and Timberwolves games were both just blowouts for the most part. The Pistons game, the stat I wanted to highlight was Clint Capella, who has been a monster as well. And is, I mean, him and Trey together, that's the reason the main reason for the turnaround Capella in the game against the Pistons had 27 points, 
and 26 rebounds. Everyone's calling him the best rebounder in the NBA, so if other people are saying it, I'll go with it. But, I mean, he's just been such a huge turnaround for us having him in the paint, not only for those second-hand, second-chance points, but also for his defensive abilities. Like, we've gone from being one of the worst teams in the league to I think we're we're now in the top 15 defensive rating. I, yeah, we can't overstate his contributions for sure. And 10 blocks in that one game. Oh, yeah, that was his triple-double. Triple-double. A triple-double with 10 blocks. I mean, Jesus, yeah, God. That, that's been, yeah, that's that was a ridiculous game. Um, and then let's see here. We lost to the Bucks. That was out without Trey Young, though, so I'm not too worried about that one. And they actually hung around in that game with, for the most part. I mean, they got off to a, a horrid start but battled. So they're starting to battle, Graham. Um, they beat the Clippers Monday, I believe, but that was without – Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. But, you know, the Clippers put up a fight and the Trey Young closed the game. The game last night, Wednesday, January 27th, against the Nets. It was a loss, but it was an amazing game. This is the Nets of Kyrie, Durant, and now James Harden coming into our building. And we're on the second night of a back-to-back. They're fully rested. And we pushed them to overtime. And it's as good of a loss as you can get, Graham. It's like contributions everywhere. And Capella was not a factor in this game because they play so small. I know Hawks Twitter was freaking out about the fact that Capella wasn't on the court at the end of the game. He was gassed because they like, the Nets don't have a center. They didn't play a center the whole second half. That's That's their deal. So you can't have Clint Capella out there. But... Cam Reddish had 22 points last night, and we need that from him. He's He's been very inconsistent all year, and he was aggressive last night, uh, both with his scoring and his defense, and him combined with DeAndre, DeAndre Hunter, who is now, he's a legit number two on this team. Like, a lot of people like to put John Collins as that number two, but... Hunter is proving to be the steal of last year's draft. And he's just doing things that he couldn't do last year, creating his own shot and just being aggressive. And DeAndre Hunter needs to get a lot of love in Atlanta because he's the second scoring option that Trey Young needs to take some of that pressure off of him. And I think DeAndre's emergence is letting Trey be Trey. And that's why we're starting to win again. And I once again have hope for these Atlanta Hawks, Graham, which is great because I thought we were just going to completely go downhill, but we're, we're, we're back, baby. Yeah, I think so. there's been a different energy to the team, even in the Bucks game. As you mentioned, Hunter, I think, dropped 33 in that game. And one thing I've been impressed by this year as opposed to last, or even when I watched him in college when he was at Virginia, was exactly what you just said, his ability to create his own shot. It wasn't a guy that really created his own shot at Virginia. Uh, you know, he definitely could shoot, but it wasn't like, you know, he's not going to get in an ISO situation. Now you're starting to see that a little bit more when he does get the ball in his hands is a sort of more multifaceted approach where it isn't a catch and shoot as much as not to say he can't still do that, but he's developed his offensive game more. We already knew he was a strong defender and a decent scorer, but now he's becoming a good scorer, very good scorer. And 
for him to do that without Trey, I think is also great in the sense that you're going to have to create your uh, your shot when Trey isn't in the game. That's exactly what he did in that one, even though we lost. It was very encouraging to see him do that, and he's played well all all year long. But he kind of he kind of stepped up a lot in that game. I feel like even though it was a defeat, I I, I was really really impressed with that effort. Yeah, and like the the offense. You watch highlights of him last year, and the offense would pretty much stop once he got the ball. It's like Trey sets the offense up, dishes to DeAndre. DeAndre's either shooting there or passing it back to Trey, who's got to set the offense up again. So, like, this year, I mean, I've definitely noticed Trey just wide open for a three where that would never happen. And that's because we have DeAndre Hunter and, I mean, Kevin Herter can create his own shot as well. Uh, There's just a lot of depth on this team still, and that that's still without Bogdanovich, Chris Dunn. He's still waiting another two weeks, apparently. But Gallinari's back. He's still limited on minutes. I think he played like 14 minutes last night. Uh, Gallinari, his defense really is atrocious. Like, he does not look athletic at all out there running around. No, he's a pure he's a pure offensive player, always has been. His shot is sweet, though, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, on defense, it's like this guy looks like he's about to break an ankle anytime he jumps. Um, but yeah, I think he's going to start to build up a lot more. And like watching that game last night, yeah, the Nets have the those big three, and it's a ridiculous big three to have. But beyond those three, they had like Joe Harris, um, Jeff Green. It's just like no depth. I think they had two points from their bench throughout the first three quarters. And we just got a lot of really nice pieces, and we're deep. We've seen nothing from Okongwu yet, basically, for the most part. He's still not really cracking the rotation, but I think we'll start to see him make more of a difference with the right matchups. And it's just such a fun team to watch. Yeah, everyone's still all over Lloyd Pierce, but, you know, I, watching the game last night specifically, you could tell he was calling a great offense and defense. Like, they were making adjustments throughout the game. Like, the Nets were bullying Trey Young, like, clearly seeking out Trey Young on defense. And Lloyd made those adjustments towards the end of the fourth quarter and into overtime and to where they were trying to hide Trey a lot more, which is pretty much what you have to do with Trey. But the guy's doing fine. Like you can't just shit on him when we lose and give him no credit when we win, Uh, which is what I guess that's what all Atlanta sports Twitter is like for, you know, preaching to snit there. Right. That's what a lot of sports Twitter everywhere is like. So the one thing I want to see, Adam, is some sort of modicum of consistency because we've kind of been riding this roller coaster this year. I know there are a lot of variables with the injuries and everything else that's been going on, the chemistry issues that happened between Trey and John early in the year as well. But, you know, last week we were doom and gloom. This week we're a little more optimistic. Can we stop the roller coaster effect and have a little bit more consistency? I think that's what I really want to see from this team is just some consistency. I know it's still a young team and the team's still – coming together but can we get some consistency where we can go you know two weeks straight and play good basketball we don't have to win every game but the consistent effort is there the adjustments are being made the play is at a high level you know can we get that we haven't gotten that yet this year and until we do get that i'm still gonna be ryan lloyd's ass yeah it's 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 such a weird year because i mean We've talked about this many times, but like the injuries, like we've gotten basically nothing from any of those free agents so far uh, that we signed to where like if we had Chris Dunn, 
playing defense last night, stick him on Durant, it makes a world of difference versus like Trey was guarding James Harden multiple times one-on-one last night, which he's going to lose that 98% of the time. So it's going to be a combination of getting these guys back, getting them in part of the rotation and just the continued development. Like we've seen it from Hunter. I'm sold on Hunter. Well, if Reddish can play like he played last night, that's the X factor. If you get that production out of Cam Reddish, this team is going to go, we're going to do things. I'm not going to say we're going to go far, but we can beat any team in the NBA with Cam Reddish playing as a role piece like he did last night. But yeah, you you want the consistency. I, I, I still think it's going to come with time. And I, I think we're first in the Southeast division. Not that that means anything. So we're in a good, we're like nine and nine, nine and eight, so, somewhere around there. Yeah, I think if they can keep treading water for a little bit, get Gallinari to full speed, um, you maybe get Rondo in there more as well. Yeah, Rondo still hasn't done shit. Yeah, and Chris Dunn being able to come back as, like you mentioned, that defensive presence. Then if we can reel off, you know, a nice six, seven game win streak or something like that, or even a four game win streak and just ride some momentum, stop the roller coaster effect. I think that would go a long way to gain this team in the playoffs and also gain them to come together for the years to come. Cause you know, you know, with the exception of John Collins, everyone's under contract for a while. That's worth a shit on this team. I think Capella's got three more years on his deal. I think Trey's got two or three more years. You know, I'm not going to go through the, the list, but you know, this is a big year for so many reasons, and it's also because this is your core. You might get a big superstar to come in here next year potentially, but for the most part, this is the, the, the core of your team. So, by, you know, by year's end, we need to be in the playoffs, and we need to get that experience for this core, for that chemistry to develop more to try and turn this thing into a champion, uh, which we won't be able to do without getting another stud at least, but we can get a step closer without a stud by building this chemistry. What do you think about us trading for Bradley Beal? That man is depressed. <laughs> I saw a yeah, stat today that he uh, has scored in the ten last 10 times he scored 40 points, the Wizards have lost, which is absurd. Yeah, he, he's averaging 35 yeah. and a half points. Yeah, I mean, between 11 team. I, you know, we'd never liken any sport to trade within the, the division. I don't think it's as big of a deal with basketball, but... I would be very interested in taking a look at Bradley Beal. He's a great scorer and solid defender, but more so renowned for scoring. But if you could get him as your two and shift Hunter to the three, imagine a starting lineup like this. Trey Young, Bradley Beal, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, and Clint Capella. That's a beast of a lineup right there. There is no, there, there aren't really a lot of holes in that lineup. Granted, I'd imagine John Collins is in that trade to get Bradley Beal. And if you right. have to pull the trigger on that, and if you can, and I don't know what Beal's contract situation is like, but you have to at least consider it. As much as I love John, you have to at least consider it. Yeah, like you summed it up perfectly. That man is sad. <laughs> like, if, if we if we go out and lose to these three and eleven Wizards tomorrow, any optimism I optimism I just spewed here is all all out the window, Graham. Got a big matchup next week that we'll want to talk about on the show, Graham. Oh, Luka Doncic is coming into town. Oh, yeah, it's always exciting. The classic Trey-Luka comparison that'll live on for their entire careers. Yeah, I'll have to hear about that shit all over again. We'll get to look at the the first look of this year. My favorite is always when one of them struggles and the other one's kicking ass. It's like, oh, my God, look at that shit. It's like, these are both great players. I mean, come on. 
and a lot of it's about the players that are around them as well. So. Yes, and and uh, you know we're talking about goddamn. It's like we're talking about Marvin Williams versus Chris Paul for Christ's sake. Yeah, there's no bus here, Graham. Right. All right, Adam. Enough NBA. Let's quickly go over the new look Atlanta Falcons in terms of our coaching staff. Arthur Smith has assembled his crew on offense. He has hired Dave Ragoni, or Ragon. I'm, I'm sure we'll, you know, he's one of those classic scenarios where we don't know what the guy's, how to pronounce the guy's last name. We did this with Kevin Herter. We called him Kevin Huerter, Hoiter. Um, the very first episode, Adam called Booty Ray Wilson Booty. So, you know, we'll learn his name eventually, but you got to forgive us these uh, missteps that we have as non-professionals. You, you did it more recently with Micah Parsons. Yeah, Micah Parsons. He'll probably be a future Falcon just because I damned him by mispronouncing his name. So, for those that don't know about Dave Ragoni, or Ragon, whatever the hell his name is. Ragon? 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 Probably. For those that don't know about Ragon, he has worked with Arthur Smith and the Titans organization as an offensive assistant. He's a quarterback coach at at one point as well. So that's the connection there. Uh, Ragon has never been an offensive coordinator before. He was a quarterback coach for Chicago this year. So if that scares you, maybe it should a little bit, considering Mitchell Trubisky. But the good news is he's not calling the plays, has rapport with Smith, and will probably be just like you know one of those architect kind of guys that helps build the offense but doesn't call it. And we know of Arthur Smith's pedigree. We've gone over that a lot, especially last week, in terms of how good of a play caller he is. So I will trust his judgment in terms of who he brings in on the offensive side of the ball. I have literally no thoughts or knowledge on Dave Ragone. Word. Moving on, then. (laughs) (laughs) So we also have uh, retained our receivers coach, Dave Brock, which I think was a good move considering, you know, the emergence of Calvin Ridley this year and being a complete receiver. Russell Gage took a step up. And we can't forget the great Alamadi Zacchaeus, whose name I just crucified as well in terms of his progression. So I think that was a good move. And there's also... uh, Tight end coach, Justin Peel, that might be a familiar name, Adam, to Falcons fans, who also played as a Falcon, I believe, as the tight end at one point, uh, backing up Tony Gonzalez. And he comes from Philly, where he he was the uh, assistant tight ends coach, and then he's the full-time tight ends coach, I think, by the time he left, where, you know, they produced Zach Ertz and Dallas Godert, who are two of some of the better tight ends in football. I would say, even though they both kind of had down years due to injuries this year. So I think, you know, pretty good looking offensive staff, as far as I can tell. Um, And we'll see how, you know, Fragone is is a positive influence. Yeah, I mean, he's not dirt cutter. And I mean, I guess I just have a few thoughts on it just because Arthur Smith is calling the plays. So you just kind of need a fill in guy. And I guess Fragone's that guy. But yeah, coming from Chicago, that's not, that's not fantastic. No, but also think about it, Mitchell Trubisky is, you know, he was never a good quarterback, so kind of throwing a shit hand there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so hopefully he can do you know better work with with Matt over here on defense. The defensive coordinator is Dean Pease, the venerable defensive coordinator who has won two Super Bowls, one with the Ravens and one with the Patriots. He also has uh, he was also a defensive coordinator in Tennessee when Smith was there. Uh, not this year, but I think the year before and the year before that. I think this is a good hire. Dean Pease is 72 years old, has a wealth of experience, known for being a you know more of a blitzing 
defensive coordinator. We talked about this. We want kind of an old-ass coach to at least be somewhere to help Arthur Smith uh, defensively or or even elsewhere for him to look, you know, someone to look up to, right? So as a mentor, I think Pease fills this role as defensive coordinator and as just that old grizzled-ass man that you want on your sideline. Yeah, it's it's the Wade Phillips hire. It's, it's perfect. Like I, I think it was pretty much always known that Smith and Pease were a package deal no matter where Smith went to, but it's someone that he trusts that can pretty much run the defense on his own, doesn't need any input from Smith. Um, no issues with that one, Graham. Yeah, and two-time Super Bowl winner as a defensive coordinator, so that's, you know that looks really good. We also have a completely new defensive staff. Uh, got a new defensive line coach, thank God. Uh, Gary Emanuel, who's been in the league for 40 years as a player and an assistant uh, coach. So he's been around the, the block for a while. He was recently on the Giants and the Colts. Um, you know, we have other guys like Frank Bush, who's a linebacker coach, who's been in the league since 1993. John Hoke, the defensive new defensive backs coach, has been coaching in college and the pros since the 80s. So you got a bunch of old-ass veterans coming in here from the defensive side of the ball, it sounds like who will hopefully whip this sorry-ass defense into shape in terms of uh, as a unit. We know we have great individual players, but as a defense, we know we suck. So hopefully these guys can do a hell of a lot better than the last coaching staff. Surrounding himself with people that have been there. And I'm assuming they've done that. I don't know. I don't know who most of these guys are. Graham, do you? No, I never heard of any of them, but I just look, I'm just looking at their resumes. Speaking of them so confidently, I feel, I feel uneducated. over. Oh no, it's fine. I mean, like I'm just looking at what these guys have done in the past and who they've you know, in terms of how long they've been around the league or, or the college game. So, um, the, these aren't like household names or anything. It's just like the wealth of, you got like, you know, 150 years of experience here alone. It seems like with this defensive staff, including Dean Pease, the negative side of me is like, well, if they're so good, why are they still, you know, why are they not head coaches? What, what is, what does a lot of experience do for me? If you, you haven't done anything. That's not to say I haven't done anything. Maybe some guys aren't meant to be head coaches. You have some people like, um, I can't remember his name, but there's that Pittsburgh Steelers defensive coordinator who was there for like 45 years who just wanted to be defensive coordinator. You know, some people don't want the big uh, promotion. Everybody's seeking the head coaching vacancy. So I think the fact that these guys have been around as long as they have is, is a good sign. I can't attest to their merits or demerits because i don't really know you know their work that much um but the fact that they've been around the league for a while uh says a lot and hopefully they'll provide some good mentorship and development to our players it's better than going and saying hey sark you never called a fucking play in the nfl you want to come be our offensive coordinator (laughs) you know yeah but i think just the general idea that he's surrounding himself with experienced guys is just him showing, Hey, I'm, I'm new at this. I need as much help as I can get to make this work. Particularly because Arthur Smith is an offensive minded coach. He's seeking out guys who have been around the defensive side of the game for decades, which I think is very smart. Even if he has a play on defense that needs to be taken through the shredder by these guys who have accumulated years and years of service, the NFL and the college ranks. So those are the sort of big hires. Um, and then we have a new special teams coach, uh, Marquise Williams, who I'm not familiar with at all. Um, 
I think he came. He's come over from the Lions special teams unit, which apparently is actually a pretty good special teams unit in terms of punt returns and coverage. At least that's what they say uh, in terms of this article I'm looking at right now. So <laughs> I have no idea if they're actually good or not, but hopefully he is. And uh, it sounds like it's a pretty decent coaching staff. Hooray. If you say so, Graham. This would be a good year for us to go on hard knocks again. That would be. New identity, uh, sort of a changing of the guard in terms of, you know, it could be the last stand of Julio and Matt. A lot of drama, a lot of storylines. Yeah, I just hope these are some grizzled coaches. Someone that's yelling at players again. Like, uh, what was the dude that smoked cigars back in the day? Oh, uh, what was his name? He was our defensive line coach. He wasn't very good. Brian Cox. Yeah. Yeah, but he, I mean, he, we need a guy that some kick in the ass, Graham. Like, we, oh, we I can't agree. have, yeah. So, and I think that's generally what you get with a guy who's been in the NFL for 40 years, like every guy you just said. So, right. Yeah. We need, this needs to be like almost like a military boot camp kind of thing for the defense. Yeah. I don't want to see any heart to heart conversations. Just ass kicking. No more bullshit. Get to the fucking quarterback. Yeah. That's all I ask. Help Grady Jarrett, mm-hmm. for God's sake. And we'll, I have no idea what's going on with Terry Fontenot's staff, but I'm sure we'll find out soon, soon enough. Hopefully he is cleaning house of that abhorrent Falcons front office. And I think that just about covers the Falcons and presumably the show. Yeah, I've kind of run dry, Graham. We, we, we covered a lot. Well, Adam, I think that wraps up today's show. We want to thank everybody for listening, and we hope you guys are doing well out there. Until next time, rise up, chop on, unite and conquer, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospitalmanship. Hospitalmanship.